This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. Um, they do the, and they follow the financial year, not the calendar year. Yeah. So that means at uh, the end of June is the end of the financial year, and so in July we'll get uh, the end of financial year reports. And is that right? Yeah, I think reporting <laughs> season actually falls in February. And yeah, yeah, but I was getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I jumped the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, end of financial year, you get your full year reports. And then uh, around February, um, as Bryce just said, you get your half-yearly report. So basically, what we're getting now is updates from businesses on how they're going, whether they're meeting projections, whether they need to update the market on anything. And you always get a couple of nice little tidbits here and there. And so we're going to rip through a couple from Australia. And yep. then um, we'll mention a couple from America. But look, we... Recognize that we're an Australian market-focused podcast at the moment, and so we'll talk about some things in America, but not for very long. So, do you want to kick us off? Give us a company that's interested you this reporting season. Okay, well, West Farmers is one that has interested me, okay. particularly. I like West Farmers, well, I don't know if I like them, but they're interesting because uh, they've got uh, quite a diverse range of businesses that fall under them that can have a really... Uh, big impact on what their actual end result is. They could have one business that is doing really well. and So why don't, why don't you just quickly run through the businesses that West Farmers own? Uh, okay, so they own supermarkets. They own, uh, well, they're in retail. Oh, hold on, hold on. Why don't we just run through the actual businesses? Uh, Coles, Target, Kmart, Officeworks, Bunnings, and they're in coal. Yeah, and so, so quite a large... So with, with their, they're in, they have an industrial division, so they like self-fertilizer, they mine coal, they sell safety equipment. It's a lot of like very um, sort of industrial applications. Yeah, so on the back of that, they had great coal results, and unfortunately, coals, yeah. the supermarket, didn't perform so well. Good coal, bad coal. <laughs> That's correct. So coals has posted a... Um, another quarter of same store sales growth, which yep. is a key metric in retail business, and this is the 35th successive quarter of doing so, yeah, which impressive. is quite impressive. Yeah. Um, why was it a bad 
resolving. Oh, you tell me, runners. Uh, well, so the market has certain expectations, and the despite Coles growing in same store sales, they didn't meet the market's expectations. Whereas Woolies did quite well, and uh, so investors are a little bit skittish about Coles, given that Woolies is coming back on the rebound. Sorry, can't even speak today. On the rebound, pretty strong. Uh, you know, well, we've, we've got the competitive constraints of Amazon and Lidl coming in and Aldi growing. So, Coles not meeting market expectations, despite still growing, is a little bit worrying. And it's always one of those annoying things about this reporting season is companies can do so well, as in West Farmers, you can say, we, you know, it's 13% up in terms of profit. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't meet expectation from the market, then it's probably going to suffer in uh, sort of, uh, trade uh, yeah. in terms of pricing. Now, one, one thing that I found quite interesting out of West Farmers was that they're talking about spinning off Officeworks into a, in, as, a, as, a, as an IPO. Um, and, you know, Officeworks, profitable, not a huge business, but the strategic motivation, we think, for that is um, the threat that Amazon poses to Officeworks. Um, a lot of the things that Officeworks sell, uh, it's likely that you'll just order from Amazon. Um, American consumers at the moment order that stuff from Amazon. So... It looks like uh, they're going to try and spin it off before Amazon come. So at this stage, that's an IPO that I would avoid like the plague. Yeah, if it comes to fruition. Uh, Another one that I liked and have been keeping an eye on for a number of years now since the start of university is Domino's Pizza. And it keeps on going up and up and up and up. Profits up 15.5% in the last quarter. Yeah, but the market didn't love it. No, no. Didn't get a great uh, share price result, which you would think, you know, your profit's up 15%. Like, that's great. Yeah. But I think the lesson to take from it is that in a lot of cases, investors price in expected yes. increases. And so then, even if your profit is up... Yeah. If- and I mean, it's been doing so consistently well over the last few years, it gets to a, a potential point where the expectations become so great that it becomes quite hard for the companies to meet those yeah, expectations. Absolutely. It's not a bad problem to have, though. A side note to that, in the news at the moment, there is also a bit of a talk going on about the way that Domino's is for treating their franchisees and the way their franchisees are then going on and treating their uh, respective employees. So that's also something to keep an eye on because that can eventually potentially have an effect on the way that investors view the company. Yeah. And well, the Domino CEO said all the right things in their report. He said that um, they have a zero tolerance policy of franchisees underpaying employees. But I mean, as always, your CEO can say the right thing on reporting day, whether that follows through. We'll, yes. We'll so hard to police. Yeah. Uh, another one that I really liked, and Renners, you can take this away because I know that you're in love with this company and it's your little baby, is A2 Milk. Yeah, it is my little baby. Um, so I've got to, got to make the statement up front that I own the company, so I'm a little bit biased. What, the whole thing? <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> no, I'm an investor. But as we say, if you're an investor in that company, you own part of that company. That's how right. you got to think of it. Yeah. So A2 Milk is a dairy company, sell milk, as, yeah. as the name suggests. Um, they... They, they have a particular way of uh, creating a milk that... So milk, milk has... Uh, or dairy has an A1 and an A2 protein. And what they do is they have a, um, a, manufa- a method of manufacture that takes the A2, A, sorry, A1 protein out of the milk. And a lot of people who are lactose intolerant are lactose intolerant because of the A1 protein. Yeah. Now, that's quite a unique selling point, especially in the Asian market, where there's quite high rates of lactose intolerance. Yeah. 
Now, A2 was a great company when I bought it, if I may say so myself. Right it's currently trading at about 52 times earnings, which is an outrageous multiple to be yeah, trading. It sounds like so, Bellamy's. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> the market is expecting some huge things from A2. But it delivered. Well, it had a pretty good report. So its profit is up 290%, which isn't something you hear 2.9. 290. <laughs> 290%. <laughs> yeah, and um, that, that result was primarily driven by an... Um, 348% revenue growth in China. Huge. Yeah, now China is obviously the crown in the... Crown in the jewel? The ju- jewel no, in so the, the crown. The jewel in the crown uh, when it comes to basically any business these days. Um, so it's great to see that A2 is doing well in China. Yeah. The thing that we need to watch for is the old Bellamy's truck. Because Bellamy's was reporting great China sales, but the way that they were selling into China was through um, a grey market where basically a lot of Chinese people in Australia were buying the product from in Australia and then sending it to China. What A2 is saying and what we like to see is that they actually have more established uh, avenues of sale into China. So they're actually selling the traditional way into Chinese... Um, Not relying so much on the grey market. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's, Which is what, what that's one possible. of Bellamy's main issues was. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll see if A2 can con- continue to live up to investors' expectations. Um, that 52 times multiple means you should not be buying it at its current prices as much as I'd um, you know, love everyone to buy it to sort of bump the share price up. <laughs> cool. So there's probably some of the standouts for us in terms of the reporting season. Yeah. So what else has been going on in the news this week? So a little bit from America, we won't, we won't talk about the companies as much, but we'll just quickly bang through some things that we found quite interesting. A lot of talk has been made about American companies holding money overseas because the way American tax system works is they tax it when they bring the money back into the country. Apple just reported they have $230 billion overseas. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like that is an outrageous amount of money just to be yeah. sitting overseas. Yeah. It obviously is a constraint for them to an extent. Um, it's sometimes they have to raise debt in America to fund their American operations because they don't want to bring that money back. Mm. But it does look like they're going to win this standoff with uh, the American government and they'll probably get a tax holiday or a seriously reduced tax rate when um, Trump finally gets them to repatriate that money. Mm. Um, Facebook has made the news because their last fourth quarter revenue has risen by 51%. Yeah. Now, their revenue is primar- primarily driven through advertising, particularly mobile advertising. That's where they're getting a lot of their uh, growth coming from. Uh, And I think this is a good little segue into our next little news item about a potential, well, not a potential anymore, an upcoming IPO from Snapchat. Yeah. We're all aware of Snapchat and what they do. They've now just changed their name to Snap Inc. Yeah. uh, And they've told the market that they're no longer a social media company and they are a camera company which is a bit confusing the reason that I segued that from um, Facebook is because this has the potential to either be a Facebook IPO and go really well or it has the potential to be a Twitter IPO and absolutely bomb The reason I say that is because Snapchat continued to have a growing user base, which is very important. Uh, You don't want to see any sort of stagnation in that. But one of the things that they're trying to sell and I think are struggling to do is what is their actual core business? And if they're saying that they're a camera company, then it it, it makes the investor a bit nervous about which direction they're going to head and do they actually know what their core business is? 
And if they don't really know and they're just saying they're a com- camera company because they're hoping that down the track it's going to give them the ability to go down different avenues of generating revenue, then it, it can be a bit scary or hairy for investors to jump in on this IPO. Yeah. So it's one that we're very interested in. Definitely one that I wouldn't be looking to get involved yeah. in. And I, I think there's, um, there's some cautionary tales with American hardware companies. So the two that come to mind when I think of Snap as a camera company is Fitbit as a... Uh, whatever you yeah, the, fit, fitness watch yeah. device company yeah. and GoPro, GoPro. as a, another camera company yeah. and both were market darlings for a little while there was a lot of hype around them mm-hmm. but really when push comes to shove if you're a hardware manufacturer if you're making a camera or you're making you know a, a fitness watch yeah. you're not it, it's, it's tough to have a real point of difference and like obviously you can and obviously companies do but the, the challenges that GoPro and Fitbit are facing at the moment is why would a consumer pay a premium for their product rather than an alternative product? Yeah. So, and, that, and that's the thing with Snap. Will they be able to convince people that their camera is better than the hundreds of other cameras? Yeah, I mean, I can see that the way they're going to go, and they already have begun doing so, is creating accessories. Similar, You know, they've got those glasses that... Yeah. Um, but then you're putting yourself in a... Uh, a pool that has to compete with Google and you know the Google Glass, so which which was a pretty big which, failure. Yeah, which in itself hasn't proven successful and with the might behind Google. So, uh, to, to be fair to them though, the the strategic advantage that they have over companies like Fitbit and like GoPro is that they have the user base in the app yeah. that they can then tie their hardware products to. Yeah. And that could be a serious competitive advantage. It, but it's whether a or lot not of ifs there. it's whether yeah. or not that user base want to take up on yeah. the hardware that they build. So something to keep an eye on. We're pretty uh, interested in it and uh, yeah, keen to see how it goes. Yeah. And just one last thing from America that I found quite interesting is that uh, Starbucks is making a serious push into China, so much so that they plan to open a new store in China every 15 hours. Yeah, that's crazy. That's right, hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, China's a big place. Say it again. 15 hours. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're organising store openings in China, yeah. God, you've got to be scheduled. I know, I know. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I was... I was blown away when you told me that the other day. Yeah. And, and it, is, it is something interesting because a problem that Starbucks has had in America is that they had to pull back from a number of their stores because they found there were almost too, much, too many stores and they were sort of cannibalising each other a little bit and eating into each other's sales. And so they pulled back some of those stores. Will that be a problem in China? I mean, it's a big place. Are they doing the build it and they will come? Or, you know, do the Chinese even yeah, yeah. like coffee that much? I don't know. It's something that I'm not yeah. really across very much. But... Yeah, I mean, they're betting on the Chinese consumer wanting American brands, yeah. which has been a pretty safe and reliable bet for a number of American companies over a number of years. Except Apple. <laughs> well, I mean, Apple killed it in China for a while. And the then, their, then their smartphone sales in China started to slow. And that was when... People were worried about Apple. Apple's share prices rebounded since then. Yeah. But Chinese middle-class consumers, uh, it's it's a relatively safe bet that they quite like American products. Yeah. But American coffee... It's not who, that great. Like, who knows? It, that, that's... Yeah. You know, you, obviously you're buying the brand at Starbucks, but you're also just buying a coffee. And yeah. whether, you know, you're introducing a new, new product into a lot of these Chinese markets, like, you know... Well, who knows? They might tailor products that are a bit more suited to that market. But I guess at the end of the day, yeah, they're, yeah. they're over there because they can see that this growing middle class is wanting products from the Western world. Yeah. And as long as they use A2 milk in their coffee, I'm happy. <laughs> <Go for it. laughs> All right. Well, um, in terms of other news, 
We, we've seen in Australia the Australian dollar having a bit of a rally. Now, um, uh, a lot of new investors probably don't care or um, don't know why they should care. So, I mean, wh- why don't we sort of go through some of the basics of why that's important? Yeah, well, historically, the Australian dollar has been quite low. But over the past, well, maybe even 24 months or so, if, if not a little bit longer, it's been sitting at a price that, you know, ha- has been verging on quite worrying for the RBA at times because uh, they would like the Australian dollar to be in a range that makes our exports seem attractive. Yeah. So very basic, if your dollar is low, your exports are cheaper. Yeah. Just because when foreigners buy your currency to then buy your exports, it's cheaper if the dollar is cheaper. Yeah. However, what we've seen of late is an increase in demand for, for our iron ore and our coal. So we haven't quite come off the mining boom as such. We still have a, a, a lot of, not so much growth, but... Uh, revenue and exports coming from our mining sector and so that's dr- driving the price of the dollar up it's keeping it up it's keeping it high also also in overseas we're seeing a lot of volatility in terms of um, government and markets and so investors like to put their money into currencies that are sometimes deemed as uh, safer options than what would otherwise be overseas so in doing that investors are pouring money into the Australian dollar and that drives up demand and that's keeping the price relatively high so it's sitting around the mid 70s at the moment and has been doing for quite a while so i'm asking the question is this going to be the new norm is this something that the rba is going to try and push down further i'm not so sure at the moment um but it's just something to keep an eye on it has been progressively been going up in over the last you know three or four months if not more and it has good implications for our australian businesses in terms of the revenue that they're going to be receiving but for some businesses like agriculture and that sort of stuff, when it's better to have the price a bit lower, I'm sure they'd like to see it uh, yeah. on the cheaper side. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the dollar for me, until we know more about what's going to happen in both with the American and the European political situation and economic situation, I think we're going to see a lot of volatility. And then also when we know in the longer term what India and China's demand for our resources is going to look like, yeah. I think there's going to be a bit of uncertainty for a while. Well, I hope it stays like this for a bit because I need it for traveling overseas. Yeah. (laughs) So keep going, Aussie dollar. Yeah. Um, And then uh, last thing that we want to talk about, because every podcast and every news source has to talk about this to stay relevant, is we've got to talk about Trump. The Trump bump. The Trump bump. (laughs) So really quickly, if you haven't been following the American market, before Trump was elected, people were talking about the market being too high and being in a little bit, little bit of a bubble. And what we've seen since Trump came into power is just a surging market. Just unbelievable, unbelievable highs. Yeah. Hitting historical highs. Yeah. What we thought was going to be a market collapse has turned into the complete opposite. Yeah. And the question begs why. Yeah. Uh, and there are, there are some explanations. So the mark, the, one explanation is that the market is pricing in a number of Trump's policies. So uh, his infrastructure bill if it ever goes ahead, is going to stimulate a lot of growth um, in the market. Uh, His tax cuts are going to be extremely good for American companies. Um, Another big one, which we touched on before with Apple, is um, if he gives all these American companies a tax holiday and allows them to repatriate um, a lot of money. 
Now, um, that third... Well, the, the tax cuts and... Actually, you know what? All, all three of those have some relevance for Australian investors. Uh, there are Australian companies like ResMed who um, have, are now based in America and have money parked overseas, much like Apple, although not to the same extent, and they want, to, they want the same thing. They want a tax holiday so they can bring that money back into America and they're trying to build a plant in Atlanta at the moment and they need that money to complete that plant. So even though we're obviously not in America, there, there are some Australian companies and some Australian investors that have a really close eye on um, these particular policies and what that will mean for their investments. And it's... In- Sorry, it's important to mention as well that uh, Australia is a the Australian market is quite reactionary to what's going on in the other bigger markets around the world, especially the US market. And so, if we're seeing uh, growth from the US market, then it's pretty safe to say that uh, we're going to see a reflection of that through the Australian market. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, a lot of what's happening at the moment in the American market is driven by a lot of what Trump is tweeting at midnight, um, and. It's easy for him to talk the talk, but will he walk the walk? We're not sure, and that's a concern that we have. You know, is it overvalued? If if it doesn't come to fruition, what he's been saying, what's that going to have an impact, and is that going to affect the Australian market as well? Yeah, absolutely. So watch but, this space. But look, at this stage, um, follow Trump for his tweets, follow Trump for the chaos that's going on in America, but don't worry too much about Trump in relation to your investments because um, it's all sort of speculation at the moment. If the American market corrects, which I think we both think it will have to at some stage, yeah. don't be surprised and don't be worried. Um, that's natural and it's kind of necessary at this point. All right, well, that's a wrap with news of the week. We will bring that to you each week at the start of each episode. Uh, we'll also stop introducing all of our segments, but we just want to give you, give you an idea of what segments you can come to expect from our episodes. Um, we, can hope, we hope that you can sort of get an understanding of how we relate what's going on in the world to our investing ideas. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætte af alle de der podcaster, forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 
when we asked ourselves what would we have liked to have known when we first started out, um, we both came to the conclusion that it wasn't, you know, who to buy through or how much to spend or... Yeah, or it even was, what to buy. Or what to buy. It was what are the options available yeah, yeah, yeah. where I can put my yeah. hard-earned cash. Yeah, because before, like when I jumped in, it was straight away what shares to buy. Yeah. But it would have been nice if I had known that I could take a step back and ask what can I buy. Yeah. Yeah. Because what options are available. Yeah. Different yeah. strategies. Yeah. Um, that can make it less daunting, really. Yeah. So in this segment, um, we want to cover off what we see are the sort of three main investment options for people who are just sort of investing casually, are uh, just dipping a toe in the stock market pool, um, and just want to sort of uh, test the waters. Mm. So the three are shares, uh, index funds, and exchange traded funds. Yeah. Why don't we kick it off with the most known form of investment? There we go. <laughs> uh, Stocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is probably when you guys are listening to the news or reading in the paper uh, and you hear people talking about investing or the stock market or even what companies are doing, they're usually referring to stocks, individual shares in individual companies. Yeah. And that's probably the most basic form of investing yeah. and the most common. Yeah, definitely makes up the bulk of in investing, especially for sort of everyday investors. Mm. Um, it's what, uh, you know, your super funds will own a lot of shares, um, Actually, they'll own a lot of all your mum and your dad. Yeah, but look, yeah, it, it's in essence, it's what you think of when you think of investing. Yeah, buying yes. shares in a company. Yeah, a nothing complicated about it. Yeah. No hidden tricks. Yeah. Uh, you're just buying a stake in the company, and then you become part owner in that company for as long as you hold that stock. Yeah. One thing to realize with this form of investing is that the price of the share when you buy it on the stock market is driven by supply and demand. Uh, so you've got a group of sellers and a group of buyers. Uh, obviously the sellers are holding the shares and the buyers want to purchase. So the price is the agreement between the seller and buyer on the open stock market, the ASX, uh, and that's how your final price is determined. Yeah. So in theory, the company shouldn't have any influence on setting its price. Um, As you said, it's purely buyers and sellers. In practice, there are things companies can do, like share share buybacks and the like, to sort of push the price in the direction they want. But yeah, look, you could... You know, the company could be killing it, but if people, investors don't like what they're doing, um, then the price will be lower and vice versa. So, yeah, it's pure, pure supply and demand. It's a free market at work. Yeah. yeah. So, one thing to consider when you're thinking about buying shares is that it's probably one of the most, of the three that we're going to talk about today, shares is one of the most uh, active forms of investment. Uh, you have to be quite uh, involved in your investment approach because you not only have to be all over your stocks, but you have to be putting in research into each company that you're going to be investing in. Um, you have to be putting away an, an amount of cash each time so that you can start to diversify your portfolio, have to start thinking about diversifying, looking at different sect- sectors, industries, all that sort of stuff. So if that's something that interests you, then by, by all means, go ahead and get stuck in. However, if you don't have the time and you don't know where to start, it can prove to be quite a stressful activity. Yeah, I guess a good example of where active management is really important is my first investment. And I've spoken about it, I spoke about it in the first episode, in the introduction, but my first investment was Slater and Gordon. And they were a market darling for a while, and I, being new to the, um, the market, sort of bought into that hype. And things were rosy to start with, and I didn't pay attention to what was going on, what was being reported, and what whispers were coming out in the media. And what happened was there were people who were more uh, like clued into the information. They were watching the news. They were 
following the company's reports um, and the reports about the company in you know Australian Financial Review and the like. And so what happens is when something really important breaks and people realise that you know the company's been fudging their numbers a little bit, everyone sells. Yeah. And because I'm not following it as closely as other people, I'm left holding the bag, yeah. as it were. And so... Like, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, that, I don't want to try and scare you off shares because I, it is my preferred form of investing still, but you've just got to, you've got to take the time to, to, to be you know, clued into what's going on. And you've also really got to understand what level of risk you're willing to take on. Like, if you have the ability to lose, that, like, lose an amount of money and you're not going to beat yourself up about it, then by all means, give shares a shot. But if, if you think that you're going to be, you know, if it takes you that extra bit to earn that $500 that you can put in or 1000 or whatever it is and, and you feel if you are going to lose that and you are going to beat yourself up about it, then ETFs or indexes are probably a more safer way to go while you're starting off before you can then start to focus on investing in, in stocks. Yeah. So I think uh, that pretty much covers off shares pretty yeah. well. And do you have anything else? No, that's, that's a good spot to move on to the second investment option, uh, which is index funds. Well, yeah, so what's an index? So an index is a basket of stocks um, that are traded on a particular exchange and they're generally seen as a good way to follow the movement of the market as a whole or the movement of particular stock exchanges as a whole. Hmm. So um, to give you an example, the the first index that was created was the Dow Jones. and um, Which is in the US. Which is in the US. You might have heard of um, it on the news, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And what it is, is a basket of 30 companies, some of the biggest, well, historically it was some of the biggest companies in America. Um, some of the bigger companies now aren't in it, but um, it, it was the first index created. And there are a few problems with the index, and we won't worry about getting into them now, but um, some of the other indexes that you might have heard of is the ASX 200, which is the biggest 200 companies on the Australian um, stock exchange, or the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest um, companies traded in the New York Stock Exchange. I think also one that most people would have heard of if you know dad, mum, and dad have had uh, ABC News on or, or any of the news is uh, the All Ordinaries. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, an Australian index that tracks the overall movement of um, a large group of Australia's largest companies. Yeah. And. Uh, all, is, it, is it all ordinary shares? Is that the idea? Well, yeah, I guess it's called the All Ordinaries because it's all ordinary shares. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. That's one that is most often referred to, uh, as well as the ASX 200. Yeah. So they're Australia's two largest and most prominent indexed funds. Oh, well, oh. indexes. So the All Ordinaries, All Ordinaries contains the 500 largest ASX companies. Yeah. So like the ASX 200 being the 200 largest, or is this the 500 largest? Yeah, in terms of market capitalization. Yeah. 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 So those, those are two to keep an eye out for when you're uh, doing a bit of research. But the way that you can get involved in these indexes, and one of the, well, firstly, one of the main advantages of investing in an index fund is that you automatically get access to all of these companies yeah. so immediately your portfolio becomes diversified just through purchase of one stock so you can get access to 500 shares of uh, stock uh, companies if it's through the all odds you can get access to 200 if, through, if it's through the asx yeah and this takes away a lot of the stress and pain involved of having to work out what to buy when to buy when to sell yeah. because Overall, yeah, you're not going to be getting huge returns. You're not going to be getting massive losses, but your volatility is probably the key word that yeah. comes to mind when yeah. talking about indexes because it takes away a lot of volatile risk. Yeah, and indexes are considered the safest, one of the safest forms of investing just because historically indexes always trend upwards. Yeah. You know, like there are, there are things, like there are aberrations, you know, like the JFC, obviously all the indexes tanked, but... You know, if you had bought a, any of the major indexes in 2005 and just held it 
copped it through the JFC, ridden that wave back up, you would, at this point, you know, 12 years down the line, have made money on that investment. You would have seen out the JFC and made money just because indexes just always historically trend up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, past performance is never an indicator of future performance, but um, indexes are pretty safe for that, for that reason. And an index fund, well, indexes, uh, you know, investors can't really beat the market in, 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 in a sense because they are the market. So it's actually quite hard to beat the market if you're starting out because there's a lot of people out there trying to beat the market and who are professionals at it yeah. and still can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so indexes lets you leave the guesswork out of, in, in, of investing. Um, and it's also a very passive way and low cost way of investing compared to individual stocks. You can put your money into an index fund and just let it ride and not have to really worry about it. Um, you know, one of the world's greatest investors, Buffett, is a very strong supporter of investing index in funds, index yeah. funds. Yeah. There's a famous story about um, Buffett making a million dollar bet with a hedge fund manager where Buffett bet the index and the hedge fund manager backed himself in to, I think it was to choose a number of different actively managed portfolios that would beat the index. And that was in 2008 where we were coming to the end of the bet and Buffett has absolutely smoked this hedge fund manager. Really? Yeah. Well, so it's just... It's a great example. Yeah. And like Buffett, I mean, the, the American, I, I believe it was the S&P 500 he put his money on. And the American economy has had, the American share market has had a very good run mm. over the last few years. Mm. So that's obviously helped Buffett. Mm. Um, but like, it's just an example of how just... Because what you're doing essentially, if you're putting money into the index, you're betting on all these big established companies continuing to do well. Yeah. You know, like in America, you're betting on you know your Apples and your Googles and all Facebook, of them, Amazon, yeah, yeah. yeah, continuing to do well. Yeah. Or in Australia, you're betting on you know the big four banks and you know Telstra and the just mining. the miners, yeah. just like big established companies whose you know share prices might fluctuate day to day. But when you have got a basket of two hundred or five hundred of these established companies, yeah. Like the general, the general trend is up. Yeah, yeah. Now that's not to say that they won't go down. Let, yeah. Let's make that clear. Yeah. But they're a very effective way of diversifying and limiting your risk, yeah. um, and getting your money working for you from the start, so that you can then take your time to start understanding the, the shares side of things a yeah. bit better before you leap into it. Yeah, there are a number of uh, ways that you can get involved in index, index funds. Yeah. Um, you know, Vanguard is one of is the main company to sort of look out for that offers index funds in Australia. Yeah, in yeah. Australia. Um, well, they also offer the ability to get involved in indexes yeah, overseas yeah. as well. Um, and that's something else that we sort of haven't mentioned that if, if you want to get international exposure, you can do so quite easily by buying index funds. Yeah. Um, but if you want to be more specific about industries or uh, sectors in in the market that you may be interested in, such as commodities or uh, financial industry or healthcare, then there are index funds that are created to follow those specific industries and sectors as well. Um, and so that's a great way of diversifying your risk, limiting your risk, uh, but getting access to a bit more specific sector and industry. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Vanguard, uh, iShares also offer a number, SPDR, small odds. They, um, uh, or SPDR, are uh, invested ETF company, index company that offer a number as well. So something to think about and uh, jump online and have a look. We might put some up on our website for you to have a look at it, look at as well. Yeah, and yeah, not not to flog a dead horse with the Warren Buffett stories, but I think it's pretty telling that you know perhaps the greatest investor of all time, in his will, he um, had specific instructions about how he wanted the money he left for his wife invested, and what he said was ten percent in uh, government bonds and the like. 
and then 90% in the S&P 500 index. Mm. Um, he didn't this is from the world's greatest investor. Yeah, for his wife. Yeah. Like, he, didn't, he didn't want to worry about actively managed investments or anything like that. Just put it in the index. It's relatively safe. And not only that he didn't want to worry about actively investing, but he just... At the end of the day, he just thinks that's going to be the best return. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've really talked up the benefits of the index, um, yeah. and like there's a reason for that. We yeah. we think for people starting out, it is a pretty good option just to dip your toe in the water and yeah. see what it's like. You don't have to worry about you know making the mistake that I made and trying to pick a stock mm. straight off the bat uh, when you know you perhaps weren't paying enough attention mm. and didn't know enough. Well, we're sort of. Well, I'm sort of doing a bit of a 180 as well. I've started with shares, and now I'm actually going to look at going into some index funds, yeah, um, putting some money in towards them, just so I can have that assurity of some of that money is safe, and then I can have a play around with some of my other stuff. So, yeah, yeah I'm looking so, forward to, to that. Yeah, so that that's indexes. They're baskets of shares that are grouped by you know sector or by size and what exchange they're traded on. The third category of investment choices that we want to talk about today is a little bit different. They're called exchange-traded funds. Yeah, ETFs. They're a relatively new uh, investing concept to the market as well. And I say relatively, I mean, they've been around for a while, but they have, they are um, newer than the yeah. idea of investing in, in an index. And they're becoming increasingly popular. Yeah. But in a nutshell, what? How, how would you explain it to someone for the first time, what an ETF is? So an ETF is a managed fund that is traded on the stock exchange. So you've got a fund management company that has their fund that they have capital in and that they actively manage themselves across a number of different stocks. It may be industry specific, it may be be not. And then that fund itself is then traded on the stock exchange and you will buy into that just like you would a share. So, but by doing so, you are getting access to the diversified nature of that fund. Yes. So it is still a way of limiting your risk, um, but you're then putting the performance of your shares in the hands of the managers of the exchange traded fund or yeah. the company that manages that fund. I guess I guess a really simple way of explaining it would be, so we here at Equity Mates have our hypothetical portfolio. Yep. If, that was a real, if that was a real fund with real money being managed, and we, we could then list that on the share market. And yep. if you liked us and liked our management style or yep. we had a particular type of company we were investing in and you thought that was a good bet, yep. you could then, rather than putting money into the fund for us to invest, you could buy the ETF on the share market and you're essentially making a bet on the on the performance of the fund that we're managing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, a good way of targeting industries or investing styles that you're particularly interested in. Yeah. So as, as you were saying, if you like the way that we are investing, then then you can give or put your money into our fund. So if, if you have an idea that uh, some companies are value-based or they're heavily in stocks in mining or speculative, then you can put your money towards those funds. Yeah. I, guess, I guess the other important thing to note is a lot of these funds have minimum buy-ins. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot, it might be five grand. For some of the bigger funds or some of the more exclusive funds, it'll be higher than that. If you don't have five grand to put into the fund, but you want to have access to the fund's performance, ETFs are the way to give you that access. Yeah. Because you can just buy, you can buy essentially shares of that fund um, by buying into the ETF on the share market. So just to clarify, when you say they have minimum five grand, that's if you're personally giving your money straight into yeah. the fund in the company. So to use the equity mates fund idea again, the, the five grand limit would be if you were going to put give money to us to yep. invest, 
But if we were floated on the market as an ETF, yeah. there's no limit. You no. can well, well you've got the minimum. There's an ASX minimum, buy yeah. but that's it. Yeah. yeah. So just like an index, it's a great way, as we've said many times, to limit your risk. Um, you're not def- you're definitely not going to be seeing massive returns like you would if you were directly involved or invested in to a, a, a company, a listed company. Uh, but over time, you will start to see a, a, an upward trend pending. You know, with ETFs. Yeah, with ETFs. Yeah. Well, it just depends on the ETF. Really. Well, that's right. It depends yeah. on the, the management style of the company. So there are some examples of ETFs that you can buy that you know cover everything from currency, commodities, fixed income, also stocks like we've been talking about, and that gives you the ability to get involved in these different asset classes without having to worry about the understanding of how each asset class is affected. Yeah. Um, so, so again, you know, for things like fixed income, you know, you might not have enough, you might not want to buy a whole bunch of government bonds, yeah. but if you buy a fixed income ETF, you get exposure to bonds and you get some of the benefits of them without having to actually own the asset. Yeah. So, yeah. same with currency, you might not want to currency trade, but you want the benefits of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a great way of yeah getting access to all that type of stuff with, with taking away the stress of being like, oh god, what what do I what do I do? When do I do it? Yeah. Um, so you're basically backing in an expert yeah. to make a lot of the decisions. For yeah, them, and a nice way to do some it. do really well, some don't. Um, you know, as, as with everything <laughs> in life. <laughs> so I mean, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's the basics 101. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell. So I think. It's important that you keep that sort of broad idea in your mind of the different way, different things you can put your money in. And yeah. obviously, that this isn't by any means an exhaustive list. There's a huge number of investment products and different asset classes that you can put your money into. But in terms of what we sort of think is a good starting point, these three sort of broad headings is where we're going to sort of flesh out and talk about a lot of the different options and yeah. some of the things that you should look at. Um, well, they're all things that are accessible easily through the stock market, yeah, through the and, ASX. And for investors like us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have a lot of capital, are just starting out and learning. Yeah. And yeah. So to recap, the three that we went through were the shares, yeah. um, which are... Just your standard, part of buying a part of a company, you know, yeah. what, what do you think of with investing? Actively managed and brings a higher level of risk, risk. both on the up and on the down. Um, then we spoke about indexes, which is where you fo- follow and invest in a much broader basket of stocks. Um, you know, there's, we made an example of the ASX 200 or the All Ordinaries, which is f- the 500. Uh, and then we spoke about the ETFs or exchange traded funds, which are a bit more specific than uh, index funds. And they're more reliant on the skills and expertise of the managers who uh, manage those funds. Yeah. Uh, both the index and the ETFs carry with them a lot less risk and the need to be less active. So we're not sort of necessarily saying you should do either or, but we just think that uh, you know a few of them at an early stage are more beneficial than the other. Yeah, I guess just if there if there is some confusion out there about the difference between indexes and ETFs, I guess maybe a good way to think about it is indexes are like a predefined thing. So a pre-de- there's like a predefined basket of things that you're investing in. So if you're investing in the ASX 200, what you're investing in is the 200 biggest companies in Australia. And the, Full stop. Yeah, and like no, there's no one going into that. Like Vanguard aren't fiddling around with um, the companies that they own. They just follow the index. Um, sometimes the ASX gets re-indexed. We're not going to worry about that in this episode. But like the, the index is the index is the index, and that's what you've invested in. With a lot of ETFs, there's a bit more active management from the fund managers themselves. So if you've invested in uh, like a currency ETF, there will be people who manage that fund trading currencies. 
Um, so you know they're not always going to hold like a fixed percentage of like US dollars and euros and mm. yen, and mm. there, there'll actually be a bit more active management, not from you as the person who's bought the ETF, but from the fund managers themselves. Yes. So that's probably the distinction. If you're, there was a little bit of confusion about the difference between the two. So in terms of risk, you would probably say lowest risk index. Yeah. Second is ETF highest risk shares, but then if you were to flip that around and say you know potential short term or long term gains, it's it's all up in the air with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can't really say. Some say that over over time the index wins, others do really well with with individual stocks. Yeah. So uh, something to think about. Um, and it's it's not an it's not an either or. Like no. uh, I think anyone in our position, you probably want to have a have a crack at all three, and you know have uh, some index funds. Buy some ETFs and you know bet on yourself occasionally. Buy some shares as well. Yeah, have some fun. Probably the safest way to do it. Yeah, have some fun. Um, don't buy Slater and Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it, guys. That's going to be a wrap. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, we're going to continue the investing 101 throughout each episode as we go. As Ren has mentioned at the start of the episode, this is probably the one segment that we really want you guys to get a lot out of um, and it's probably the reason we started this whole adventure yes. so we'll chuck a few notes up on equitymates.com go and jump on have a look please rate our podcast five stars <laughs> even if it's not five stars yeah, at the moment rate five yeah. stars and then give us some comments yeah, as to why yeah. it's not tell us where we can improve because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got some improvement we know yeah. but um, yeah thanks for sticking with us and looking forward to uh, the next episode yeah equity off <laughs> Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.